This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Second Kings chapter 4. Uh, We are continuing this morning again in the footsteps of a prophet, namely Elisha. And uh, we find him here in 2 Kings chapter 4 in the town of Shunem. Uh, Shunem geographically is halfway between Abel Mehola, which is where he was born and bred, where we first met him, and uh, Mount Carmel, where he often Uh, retreated to for prayer, for meditation, for inspiration. That was the the great victory of Elijah. His mentor happened there. Uh, Perhaps maybe maybe there were sons of the prophet there too that he he would meet and teach. Uh, But on that journey back and forth, as he was wont to do, uh, he meets this woman of Shunem. And he has three encounters with this woman in the record of Elisha. And uh, the last one's not found here, but we'll talk about it at the end. And it is probably the most important one. Uh, So we'll begin picking up uh, the verses here at verse 8. Now he's traveling with his companion Gehazi, who is his younger helper. And so it says in verse 8 of 2 Kings 4, That happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, And she persuaded him to eat some food. Now, when the Bible says a notable woman, it simply means a woman of great means. Uh, We would say somebody who was well-heeled, well-to-do, lots and lots of dough. And uh, as we read later on, you'll see there was plenty of servants, animals, farm, fields, harvest, And so here was a very notable woman indeed. And it says that she persuaded him to eat some food. The fact that it says she persuaded him implies that he did not initially uh, take anything from this woman, uh, but she constrained him at means. And so she, in a sense, in a nice way, in a good way, pressured him uh, to take some food. She was just wanting him uh, to take some food. And so he began to do that. And so it was, as often as she passed by, as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. This woman had a spirit of hospitality. And that's a great blessing. And it's particularly a great blessing for those in itinerant ministry. And there's lots of people who's in itinerant ministry. That means they're not, uh, they may belong to a particular church, but they minister around the nation or in other countries. And they're on the go all of the time, particularly evangelists. And they would tell you that it's very, very important that somebody has the gift of hospitality. Now, I'm not an evangelist, but I have traveled a little bit. And I've been in some places and have stayed in some homes where it was very patently obvious that somebody had pressurized this couple in keeping us. Uh, And that came through very clearly. And it's very uncomfortable because you don't feel welcome. You feel that you're just being put up with, but that's about it. But this woman had a spirit of hospitality. She was generous of spirit, and she wanted just to be a blessing uh, here to the man of God. And so... 
She said to her husband, this is verse 9, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So in other words, uh, she talked to her husband about this. Can we please build an extra room onto this house? Sometimes it was on the roof of the house. Sometimes it was to the side of the house, perhaps with a ladder up to the side so that the person who was staying there could come out and in at, at leisure without disturbing the household. And so this was a very generous uh, action of this woman and, of course, her husband who allowed it. And uh, she wanted this to be a, 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 a prophet's chamber as often it is called, a place where the man of God could go, relax, uh, feel at home there, meditate, pray, seek the Lord, read the scriptures, and so forth. And uh, notice here that she said, let us put a bed for him there, a table, a chair, and a lampstand. Uh, four items of furniture. Now, that alone is a whole sermon on its own, which I haven't time to go into this morning. But those of you who are budding preachers, take that away, make what you will of it. But believe me, and I do have a sermon on it, it is there. So it is a great thing. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say now to this woman. Did you notice that? Uh, initially here, he does not direct, speak to her directly. He speaks to her through Gehazi. You may wonder why that is so. Well, we're not exactly sure. Maybe it was protocol in those days. Maybe he didn't want to initially be over-familiar uh, it's never a good thing uh, to be over-familiar with the opposite sex if they're not your wife or your husband. And uh, so he talked to her through Gehazi initially. Uh, maybe, maybe that was etiquette in those days, but for whatever reason, that's the way he did it in this instance anyway. And Saul called the Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? Hmm. This fellow uh, has contacts in high places. There's at least three kings was indebted to him because of the war with the Moabites, uh, that through his wisdom and through his prophetic gifting, they got that great battle won uh, against the Moabites. So uh, he knew at least three kings that he could go to. At least they owed him a favor at the very least. So he said to this woman, look, you've been very careful for us. You have looked after us well. Surely there's something I can do for you. Do you want me to go and talk to the king or the commander of the army? Uh, you know, what do you give to the woman who is everything? I mean, I have this problem every birthday. When it's Sally's birthday, <laughs> I have the same problem. What do you give to the woman who is everything? You scratch your head and say, what can I get? <laughs> and she answered, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I don't really need anything. And I certainly don't need you to go to the king or the commander of the army. I'm fine why, how I am. I've got everything I need. 
And so I don't really need any favors. Now that shows this woman's heart. She was not doing what she was doing for any other reason than she had a spirit of hospitality. She wasn't wanting any favors. She wasn't doing this because this was the great man of God and he's got all these contacts and I, I can get something out of this if I'm pleasant with this man. Not at all. No, she says, I don't need anything. I, I live among my own people. I'm happy as I am. And so he said, obviously sent to Gehazi now when she had gone. So he said, what then is to be done for her? What can we do? I, I really feel I want to do something for this dear lady. She's been so good to us. She's put this room up for us. Such a lovely place. She's such a precious lady. What can we do for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. Now that may imply, of course, that she was much younger than her older husband. Uh, it does not necessarily mean that was the reason they had no children. We don't know that reason. Uh, but obviously they didn't have any children. And as her husband was much older, then if things, all things being equal, he'd probably die first, and there would be nobody to leave her estate to. There'd be no son to pass this on to. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, directly to her this time, and he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Imagine that. Imagine being able to say that to anybody. It shows you how in touch and how close this man was to God. That he was to be so bold to be able to say such a thing. About this time next year you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. She just could not believe it. She must have thought, are you kidding? <laughs> it wasn't even on her radar. It wasn't even her thinking. Perhaps she had long since given up on any hope of ever having a child. It just was not even in her thinking. No, man of God, don't deceive me. Don't play games with me. It's ridiculous. But, verse 17, but the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. So in this instance, she, he wasn't going under any faith that she had because she didn't have any at this point. None at all. No expectation no thought that this could possibly happen, none. But he was absolutely sure. He knew that it would, and it did. And so she had the child. And verse 18, it says, and the child grew. From, verse, from the end of verse 17 to the beginning of verse 18, there's a period of about four to five years. This story fairly skips along, as you notice. And the child grew. Now, I say that for this reason, because in the story you'll see in a moment, the servant was able to carry him, and the mother cradled the child in her lap. So you're probably talking about a five-year-old child at this point. 
And being a farmer's son, no doubt, he would be interested in what's happening out in the field. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers. So it's harvest time. And he said to his father, my head, my head. It's harvest time. It's hot, very hot indeed. And the probability was, although we can't say 100%, but the probability was that he took sunstroke. Most commentators believe that's what happened. Perhaps he was playing in the field. He was fascinated with all the work that the reapers were doing, as all little children would be, especially farmers' sons. And maybe he stayed out too long. Maybe he wore no hat. Maybe nobody even noticed the busyness of the harvest. But for whatever reason, he's cried, my head, my head. And so he said to the servant, to a servant, carry him to his mother. Hmm. Now, I'm not sure whether it was because the father had little dealings with his own son or whether it was because of the busyness of the harvest time on that day or whether it was because he didn't really see the seriousness of what was happening to his wee boy. But all he said was to his servant, take him to his mother. Now, we know that most children, if they're not well, who is it they want anyway? It's not their dad, it's yours, it's their ma. <laughs> they want their mother. It's that mothering, nurturing thing. And so maybe this dad, in the busyness of the harvest and so forth, he maybe thought, you know, I don't really have time to deal with this. The harvest has got to be done. And, you know, he's a bit of a headache. He's a bit of a sore head. So take him to his mother. She'll know what to do. And so... The problem is, there's many a father who can be so busy with their business, or their work, or their career, or their hobbies, that they don't see what's happening to their children. They miss the seriousness of what's happening to their own kids. And that's a dangerous thing. And for whatever reason, this man was missing it. He didn't see it. He didn't sense it. He didn't feel it. So, servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. The Bible's so matter-of-fact about it. But if you could just stop and pause just for a moment because there's nothing matter-of-fact about this. Imagine that dear mother with her little son <coughs> in her lap, and she's looking at him, and she knows he's seriously ill, and she can't send for a doctor. She can't run him to the nearest hospital because there is none. Can you imagine what she was going through at that point? And maybe his little face was twisted with the pain and the agony. And for hours, she sat looking at him. And I'm sure she prayed like she'd never prayed before. What mother wouldn't? What parent wouldn't? Your child is sick. It's on your lap. 
you feel this is very dangerous, it's very serious, you would pray. Our little grandson Noah is four today in the Philippines. And I remember four years ago we were there after he was born. It was touch and go for six weeks. And boy, do we ever pray. Let me tell you, that sharpens your focus like nothing will. And so here's this dear lady sitting with her little son, praying like she never prayed before. No doubt crying unto God, save my son, don't let my little child die, please, Lord. But at noon, he died. This little son of promise, this little son of prayer died. It's tough, isn't it? It's hard. I can't begin to imagine how that would feel. But she felt it. The Bible called her a notable woman. She was notable for her finances. But now she's going to be notable for her faith. It's what she does next is the determining factor. And it's incredible. It says in verse 21, And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Why did she do that? Why did she not run and tell her husband? Because the first thing her husband would have done would have been bury him. <clears throat> she knew what she wanted to do and what she was going to believe for. And she didn't think he could. So she decided right there and then, I'm not going to tell him. I'll put him in the prophet's chamber because the prophet's not there. He's 20 miles away in Carmel. Everybody knows that. Nobody is going to go into the prophet's chamber to look for him. It's just an empty room. So she puts him in there. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. Hmm. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. Again, this is implying something. It would seem to be that in the Sabbaths and in the new moon times, that Elisha maybe held special services. Normally he would be preaching to the sons of the prophets. But maybe there were special times when he would open up to anyone who wanted to come and hear the word of God and receive ministry. And it seemed like she was apt to do that from time to time. Because the first thing her husband thought, well, why are, you, why are you going now? There's no new moon, there's no Sabbath. Well, why are you going today? Huh. So he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon or the Sabbath. And she said, it 
as well. In my margin, it says, she said, it will be well. Either way, she was making a positive affirmation of what she believed. If only I can get to the man of God. Elisha was the closest thing to God on earth to her. She's reaching out to God. I need to get to the man of God. This is what she's saying. So she said to her husband, everything's okay. Nothing to worry about. All is well. Then she said, it is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. 20-mile journey. That old donkey was going to get a hard ride that day. And that servant was going to run behind, and every time it slackened, he would take the whip out and give it a crack. It's harvest time. It's hot. Not good for a dead body. Time is of the essence. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? He saw her coming afar off and he recognized it was her. And they were going at speed. So he instinctively knew, not prophetically knew, but he instinctively knew something's wrong. It's not a Sabbath day. It's not a new moon. Why is she coming in such a hurry? Something's got to be wrong. Is there something wrong with her husband? Is there something wrong with hers? Is there something wrong with the child? Something's wrong. Gehazi, get out there fast and ask her. And he did. And she said again, it is well. Actually, she really didn't want to talk to Gehazi. <laughs> she wanted to talk to Elisha. So, not to be delayed, she says, everything's fine. It's well. Let's go on. The old hymn writer said, it is well with my soul. It wasn't well with her circumstances. It certainly wasn't well with her son. But it was well with her soul. She's a notable woman, this. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, which was a respectful, reverent thing to do. But Gehazi came there to push her away. There's something about Gehazi as we read on here, and we'll not really find out fully until we get to chapter 5 at some point in this series. There's something about this young man that's just not right. He's got a heart issue that comes out later. But we can see his attitude here is not good. Wanted to push her away. All right, you could say, well, he was zealous for his master. But he didn't even look and recognize 
and see the pain and the hurt that she had, even though she said, all is well. But Elisha saw it. The man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Prophets don't know everything. They only know what the Lord shows them and reveals to them. And this is not something that can be turned on and off at will. And the Lord deliberately hid this from him. Let her alone, her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So he, so she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Now, even though she has got faith, and even though she's determined to get something from God, she's human. And she's got emotions. And she's got feelings. And she's hurt. And she's in anguish. And she's got pain in her heart. And so she vents a little. Did I ask you for a child? Did I not say, don't deceive me? If I could add to that. I, I wasn't like Hannah. I didn't go into the temple every, every year uh, and pray for a child. I wasn't like Sarah who, who gave a servant unto my husband so that they could have a surrogate for me. I didn't ask for a child. I wasn't looking for a child. So she's kind of saying, Elisha, you put this on me. Now I have learned in nearly four decades of pastoral ministry that people when they're grieving or people when they're hurting or people when they're in deep distress sometimes say things that afterwards they wish they hadn't said but it comes out and their pain and their hurt and the best thing you can do at that point is ignore it you know Elisha could have turned around and said huh aren't you glad you got a son you never even thought you'd ever have a child and I prayed to God and he gave you a child. All right, he lived to his five, but at least you had five years you had that child. You're not grateful for what God has done. He could have liked her, but he didn't. He didn't say a word. Because she was speaking out of her pain and out of her hurt. Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready, take my staff in your hand, be on your way, and if you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff upon the face of the child. You know, meeting and greeting in, in Eastern countries, even to this day, is <laughs> you know, whenever we walk past somebody in the street, say I'm walking up in Moira, and I see somebody, you know, I've got a nod and acquaintance with, and you're walking past each other, you'll say, what about you? How are you doing? But you never stop for an answer, she don't. She don't. In fact, you'd be shocked if they said, well, let me just tell you how I'm feeling. Because <laughs> I don't really want to know. I'm just, I'm just being courteous. How are you doing? And then you walk on. And now they got in the East. The salutation means they talk and they talk and they talk and they maybe have a cup of tea as well. He says, if I can paraphrase, get on your bike and don't stop until you get there. But notice what he said. Take my staff. I'll add upon the child. 
Was this just a good idea or was it a God idea? You're going to see in a moment or two, it wasn't a God idea. It was just a good idea. Prophets didn't always get it right all the time. So he must have thought, well, Gehazi's younger than me, he's fitter than me, he can get there quicker, I'll just give him the staff, and he can go put the staff in the child, job done. But job wasn't done. As you'll see in a moment. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. She had absolutely no faith in this business of Gehazi and the staff. <laughs> it was going to have to be Elisha or nothing. Notice the word she used. As, let's look at it again. As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Are not those the exact words that Elisha said to Elijah? You remember when Elijah, we read this before, whenever Elijah said to Elisha, hey, you stay here, whenever they were at Gilgal, I'm going on to Bethel, but you stay here. What did he say? As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Then when he got to Bethel, you stay here, I'm going on to Jericho. As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. You stay here, I'm going on to Jordan. As the Lord lives, as your soul, I will not leave you. Because he was absolutely determined to get that mantle of Elijah. And he recognized the same words. And he sees this woman as absolutely determined to get her miracle through his ministry. And she's not going to be denied. As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. There's another sermon in there, by the way. If I was going to preach that as a sermon, you know what my title would be? He had the staff of Elijah, but he didn't have the stuff of Elijah. And he didn't. One old divine said, he had the rod of authority, but he didn't have the authority of the rod. <laughs> Nothing happened. As I suspect, the lady knew nothing would happen. That's why she wanted Elisha to come. The child is not awakened. And when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying on his bed, and he went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Here's another one of those miracles done behind closed doors that nobody gets to see. And he prayed to the Lord. I wonder what he prayed. I wonder did he say, Lord, I didn't get it right with that stuff. What do you say? What's your direction? What do you want me to do? 
rather than what did I want to do? What do you want me to do now? Or I wonder, did he pray, Lord, do you want this child to come alive again? You know, resurrection from the dead is the exception rather than the rule in both the Old and the New Testaments. Jesus didn't raise everybody from the dead when he was on earth. And neither did Paul, neither did Peter. So it's the exception rather than the rule. So maybe he prayed that, Lord, what's your will here? But he prayed. He sought the Lord. And we need to see what happens. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah, his mentor, did something similar to the widow of Zarephath's son who had died. Stretched himself out on the child. Elisha has prayed. He feels this, even though Elisha, Elijah had done something similar, he feels, this is what I've got to do. I feel this is the direction from the Lord. And so he does that. And, the end of verse 34, and the flesh of the child became warm. <laughs> Whenever he put his hands in his hands, his mouth in his mouth, his eyes in his eyes, and he stretched himself out, he was cold, stone cold, dead. But then, warmth came in, life came into that dead body. What a moment that must have been. How long did that take? Instantly? 10 minutes, 15, half an hour? Who knows? But then he could feel warmth in the body. But then what does he do? He returned, walked back and forth in the house, again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. <laughs> Blind man said to Jesus after he touched him, the first time I see men as trees walking. He touched him again and he could see all things clearly. Even though warmth and life had come into his body, but he just lay there. No open eyes, no speaking, no movement, nothing. So Elisha prays again. Goes up again. And then suddenly, suddenly it happens. The child sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes. Huh. You know, I, I have a lot of books and commentaries. It's all I could tell you. My studies follow them. And I hunted through them to try to find an explanation of why the child sneezed seven times. And for the most part, I couldn't find a reason. Except old Matthew Henry, the old classic Matthew Henry. He said that the warmth showed life but the sneezing showed liveliness. <laughs> Only Matthew Henry would have thought of that. <laughs> he had life, but no liveliness. 
But when he sneezed seven times, there was liveliness, there was movement. His eyes began to open. And he was fully alive. <laughs> then he called Gehazi and he said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and she went out. Notice that she gave thanks to God first. Then she picked up her son. How quick are we to thank God when we get their answer to prayer? Sometimes we're so desperate to get it, and when we get it, we forget to stop and say, thank you, Lord. But she didn't. Bowing at his feet was saying, thank you, Lord. Not that she believed he was the Lord, but thank you, Lord. I got my miracle. And she picked up her son and she went out. Now, if we were to leave the story there, it's a wonderful story. That, by the way, was the second encounter. First encounter was when he came to live at her house. Second encounter was when she went to him, brought him back from Carmel, raised the child. If we were to leave the story there, wonderful. That would tell us about the power of God, wouldn't it? It would tell us about the ministry of Elisha, how wonderful and gifted the man was from God. It would tell us about the woman's faith, how determined she was. It would tell us a whole lot of things. But what it wouldn't tell us is this. What was the point of her having that child in the first place, rearing the child that was five, and then the child dying, and then the child being raised to life again? What was the point? Why had she to go through all of that? That 24 hours in her life must have been the most horrific time in her whole life. It must have been dreadful. Why all of that? We don't always know the reasons why stuff happens to us. But God knows. And the last encounter that Elisha has recorded that he has with this woman is wonderful. And all relates to that very incident we have just read. In 2 Kings chapter 8, years later, and you don't need to turn to it because of time, I'll move on. 2 Kings chapter 8, turn to it if you want, that's fine. I'm going to tell you the truth anyway, so that's all right. Years later, Elisha goes to this woman of Shunem, and he says to her, there's going to, God's told me there's going to be a famine in the land of Israel, and it's going to last for seven years. Get out of Israel. Go anywhere, you and your family, and be safe and be spared this famine. So he gave her a heads up. God's spoken to me. It's going to happen. Now you better get out of here so you survive. And so she did. Her and her family, they went to live in the land of the Philistines. By this time, the Philistines was no longer a threat. David, King David, had dealt with them. They no longer a threat, but they lived in Philistia. So she went and lived there peacefully, happily, till the famine was over. So after seven years, she comes back to her own land to reclaim her house and her land, which was considerable. She was a notable woman. But here's the problem. When she's away seven years, either the government would confiscate that land or squatters would go in and take the land. Because as far as they were concerned, she probably was never going to come back. She's somewhere. They didn't know where she was. Nobody knew where she was. 
So now she's going to go back to try to reclaim the land that she had left that now either the government's taken over or somebody else has taken over. What's she going to do? Well, she's going to see the king. But who's she? king doesn't know her. He's got a whole kingdom of people. He doesn't know everybody. She could be anybody. But it just so happened that when she was coming back to see the king in the palace, that Gehazi, the king, probably Jehoram, he had called Gehazi and he said, tell me about the miracles of your master, Elisha. I'm all ears. I want to hear. And so he began to recite all the miracles of his master, Elisha. And he got to the story that we have just read of the Shunammite woman. And how they stayed at her home, how she had that child, a gift from God through the prophet Elisha, how the child died, how Elisha raised him from the dead. And just as he was telling that story, who walks in the door to see the king but the Shunammite woman and her son? And if you read the story in 2 Kings 8, Gehazi turns around and says, Oh Lord, my king, here is the woman and here is her son. What would be the chances of that happening if it wasn't God? And the king said to her, Is this true? She says, Yeah, it's true. Okay, I'll give you back your land. I'll give you back your house. And any profit that has been made on it since you were gone, I'll give you that too as a bonus. <laughs> Isn't God good? Amen. If that child had not have died and been raised again, she'd never have got that house and she'd never have got that land. The king would have totally dismissed her and says, Who are you? Go away. Everybody's claiming everything these days. But at that moment, as she walked in, God had already been at work on her behalf. <laughs> isn't that a wonderful story, isn't it? That shows the goodness of God and that shows how God works ahead in our lives. If we honor him, he will honor us. And he works ahead in our lives just to bless us. And whenever we need it, he's there for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that your plans for us are good. You do give us a hope and a future. There's purpose, Lord, in this life. And we thank you that we have found the purpose and the reason for living. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus has saved us and washed us in his own blood. And we are the redeemed of the Lord, and we will say so. So thank you, Lord, for these stories that inspire us, that encourage us, that remind us of your faithfulness that tell us, Lord, that you work ahead in advance in our lives. You're not limited to time. You're the God of eternity. Lord, you're ready in our tomorrows. And we thank you for that. So we feel safe and confident that our lives are hid with Christ in God. We bless you for this. And we thank you for your scriptures that make us wise unto salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. 
For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.